Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Drive Home Podcast with me, Max Porter. Today we are going to be exploring the issue of violence against government in the United States. Can violence against the government be justified? When is it justifiable and when is it not? What are the origins of these stances in America? I will then be talking with Worcester Senior and Wink political journalist Cole Breen about the subject and specifically the January 6th Capitol attacks as a case study for these questions. All that and much more, I hope you enjoy. The sources used in the creation of this story include National Review, CNN, and Wikipedia. On New Year's Day, the Washington Post released a survey. The research found that one in three Americans believe that violence against a government can be justified. Instantly, virtually all other news outlets reported on the, quote, scary and, quote, shocking poll, signaling that the result was too high. But this is ridiculous. As the National Review stated in an article responding to the reaction to the study, quote, it's a failure of our civic education that 100% of respondents didn't answer yes. Violence against the United States government can be justified. It is an American ideal. In 1776, after years of the 13 colonies enduring mistreatment from England, including high taxation without representation in Parliament, and violence from British soldiers, the American Revolution began to rid the colonists of British tyrannical rule and to start a new country. In the Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson wrote, quote, Whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute a new government, laying its foundation on such principles, and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Once the colonists won the American Revolution, the Founding Fathers created a governing system known as democracy to protect citizens' rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and to give the people the opportunity to advocate, vote, and hold public office to play a role in protecting these rights. However, if none of this works, other methods of creating change like protesting don't work, and rights are still being violated by the government directly or by inaction, Americans have a right to revolution as a last resort, as the Declaration of Independence read and countless presidents have echoed. This view is supported by many thinkers of the Age of Enlightenment, an intellectual and philosophical movement in the 17th and 18th centuries. These philosophers include John Locke and John Stuart Mill. To further understand exactly when violence against the government can and cannot be justified, Worcester Sr. and Wink political journalist Cole Breen and I are going to be discussing the January 6, 2021 Capitol attack, one of the most well-known and polarizing examples of violence against the United States government. Hey Cole, how you doing? Really good, Max. Thanks on today. Yeah, no problem. I, I mean, I know we've had discussions about January 6th, uh, the Capitol attacks on January 6th, 2021, many times, and just about violence against the government, so I thought it'd be worthwhile to um, recreate those amazing discussions we've had so that uh, the listeners, listeners to this podcast can hear um, our opinions on this uh, topic. I think it's fair to say that we both think January 6th, from our sp- perspective, was not justified. I think this was a uh, classic case of the losers thinking they won, when in reality the competition was fair. But I think it's still uh, 
worthwhile to assess the perspectives of the losers in this case and uh, of all those involved, the causes of why people acted this way um, to prevent it from ever happening again, an unjustifiable act of violence against a government. Is the mob really to blame for what occurred on January 6th? Could it be the individuals, the leaders, the media? What do you think? There's a tendency in uh, broadcast media to demonize these people from the get-go, you know? There's a lot of blame placed on the people that were actually involved and breaking down those barriers and raiding those offices. And yes, they deserve everything that's coming to them. But in another broader sense, they're not necessarily responsible for what they've done, I guess. And I know that sounds vague, but there were leaders within um, the White House and around the Trumpist movement that were using powerful rhetoric like, uh, if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. And this this gave people the motivation because they were so desperate to rectify what they saw as a horrific wrong to go to the Capitol and fight like hell for what they believed was an injustice. And I, these people are friends neighbors, teachers, I mean, they're not, they're not devils, I guess. I think, I think we make a mistake by painting them that way because there's something fundamentally wrong with this country if people feel that the only way they can have their voice heard and the only way they can have justice in this country is if they take up arms against their own government Mm -hmm. and their elected leaders. Uh, President Trump uh, and Rudy Giuliani and different figures like that, you could see them at the rally on that day. I mean, a rally is meant to sort of excite the crowd, but they went a step too far, you know? Yeah. They they were painting the, the whole scenario of election fraud like we were about to lose our country to, like, fascism or... Mm tyranny or something like that they were trying to inspire them much like uh, revolutionary war figures or something like that and it's just not something that's comparable you know it's not something it's just it's ridiculous that it happened and it's not something i would have ever expected to see within my lifetime exactly no i mean it was unprecedented the last time the capital was breached was the war of 1812 nothing like this has happened uh you know in our lifetimes our parents lifetimes even our grandparents um but i think ultimately um the people their actions um they're at fault because they invaded the capital but i think um that's placing too a little too much blame on them as you said i think um, it falls to the leaders and especially the media, because to be honest, if, um, you know, I was listening to just Trump, just Fox, Fox News, for example, and they were saying the election was rigged, the election was stolen, and I was just listening um, to these perspectives, I would have thought that it was an absolute fact that the election was stolen. And I'm going to be honest, I don't know what I would have done. I might have um, you know, gotten angry, just like these people did. I don't think I would raid the Capitol, um, obviously, but I would be angry. So I think that, uh, it does fall on the people, um, 
a little bit because they did invade the capital and they're listening they're choosing to listen to only one side um and I think that's a mistake. I think we need some diversity in who we listen to um, because we're never going to, you know, unify as a country if we don't hear from the other side and try to find some common ground because that's not what these people did and it led to these devastating um, capital attacks. So I think I think the blame does fall on uh, both the people who were at this protest, um, Trump and and the media. Do you think that we are going to see a rise in political violence and why? And I know you talked a little bit about this in your article about uh, the legacy of January 6th, so I'd like to hear um, some more of what you have to say about this. It's easy, and you're right, Max, it's easy to um, write January 6th off as this isolated event, like, you know, it's something that, you know, President Trump caused. But I really don't think that this is the end of this kind of orchestrated violence in this country. You know, the insurrection essentially gave credence to uh, violence as a legitimate form of political expression, you know. Uh, I People now feel like that is a way that they can have their voice heard. And that's going to be hard to shake. You know, I talked about this in my article and when people have that excuse for themselves, they're not going to, I mean, they're going to know that it's okay to do that because of what happened on um, the uh, January 6th. I don't even know if it's just going to be a right wing thing. I think that everybody saw what happened. And I, I mean, if future presidents inspire others to take up arms for a specific cause. I mean, I don't know if we have any fail-safes to stop that because January 6th essentially released the floodgate of what probably was going to inevitably happen uh, with all the divisions in our country. A lot of stuff that I've read about January 6th has sort of made a comparison between that event and 9-11. And I, I would say that it's not a fair comparison considering the scale of lives lost and the destruction wrought from uh, 9-11. But the other thing to it is that uh, 9-11 was sort of a unifying event, whereas Mm -hmm. January 6th was this event that's caused people to lay blame on a number of people, individuals, groups. You know, it's not we've walked away from this more divided than ever. We, I, I don't, we're not recovering from this in the way that we should. And I think that, I think that there are things we can do as a nation to sort of stave off events like this, but we need to first understand why people feel so motivated to commit violence against their own government, against their own elected officials. Like what is wrong with this country where people think that this is a a legitimate form of political expression. This is something they can do on a Saturday, you know? Mm. We've got to first understand the fundamentals behind um, political violence, I guess. It isn't the end, Max. I, I do think that we will be facing challenges like this far into the future. As grim as that may be, I think that This is not the end. I couldn't have said it better myself. And I think um, these instances of political violence are always going to come at 
more or less the same time and it all surrounds it's all going to surround i think um election fraud i mean there's going to be instances of you know uh court cases um and other uh problems within the government that are going to cause violence but i think mainly the worst um instances of these violence are going to come around election time and i think um we saw the start of uh, a consistent um, calling out of election fraud uh, in 2016. I, I think that was the main start of um, social media and leaders um, starting to, when they lose in elections, um, call out the other side and say this wasn't legitimate. And that happened again uh, in 2020, uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's going to happen in 2024 as well. Um, and I, I think, uh, you know, um, 2020 was different from 2020, 2016, um, because there was violence involved with this uh, claim of election fraud. And I think, as you said, it does legitimize um, that uh, way of putting your point across and saying that the election was stolen. Um, so I, I think it's definitely going to continue, um, which is very disappointing. Um, but I think that's a fault of the media, uh, the actual politicians, um, and, you know, as I said, uh, the people as well, because they're listening to only one side of the issue. Is it worth keeping January 6th in the news and in our memories? Can a country move forward if it is stuck in the past? Now, we've, we've talked about this specific yeah. point before. Yeah. Uh, definitely a lot. And I, I'd say that, well, it, this may come off as ignorant, but I don't think it's worth discussing January 6th as much on the level we have been in the past few days, you know, with the anniversary having come up. And I think by keeping it in our memory, we're sort of inspiring others to do the same thing once again, or, you know, not move forward as a country from this violence. Cause I feel like as much as I'm contradicting myself, I feel like January 6th was something of an anomaly, not the end of political violence, but I, I don't, see this being like a daily event i don't see this happening next tuesday you know mm -hmm. i think that instead of continually continually trying to place blame upon president trump or the people that were there i think we should focus on improving ourselves as a nation improving how we deal with uh, our constituents and different things like that because i feel like there's certainly a disconnect between the executive office and the people on Main Street, I guess, you know, people feel like their elected leaders, or at least the people who were inspired to commit violence, feel like their elected leaders are corrupt. They feel like they have their worst interests in mind, you know. I think politicians need to do a better job of appealing to the working class, appealing to the farmers of rural Iowa or the people in Seattle. You know, this is like a nationwide thing. It's not, there are so many ways to lay blame, but the causes behind this event, in my opinion, is the disconnect between people and government. Mm -hmm. Because 
in um, Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, he says something along the lines of government of the people, by the people, for the people. Obviously, I'm butchering the quote, but... Yeah, I think that's more or less right. Yeah. Government is people. You know, it's not... It's not a bunch of fat cats and wigs and up in their ivy, ivory towers or anything like that. It's fundamentally, it's about the people. And I think we've lost that. And mm-hmm. I think we need to understand that government shouldn't be about special interests. It should be about representing the American people, I guess. You know, when I think of this, I think of the quote, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. I think it is worth remembering January 6th. Um, and I think it is because... Um, we don't want this to happen again. And if, if I could add a point, yeah. um, it's not worth ignoring January 6th because lives were lost. Mm. You know, people were traumatized. Building The property was vandalized. People were sent to jail. This is nothing if not a national tragedy. Mm-hmm. I mean... This is, it was a horrific day. It's not something that we can easily forget about, but I think that there are ways we can more constructively deal with the uh, fallout of this event, I guess. It was just bringing to light the extreme division our country is facing. And to be honest, I don't think the name the United States uh, is applicable um, today. I think we're very divided um, and... uh, I think that needs to be stopped. I think that's the main issue uh, in our country today um, above anything else because that division is stopping us from addressing all the other problems um, we are facing right now and will face, like climate change, gun violence, all of that. And even these voting rights bills that um, just got shut down in the Senate. I mean, there's so many uh, issues that are caused by this division. Where do we go from here? I think it's sort of hard to answer because people want to go in two different directions. There's people that want to continuously blame, you know, one side or another for the event. But then there's people that want to sort of move on in a way that sort of prepares our country for future events like this. And I I think what we can do as a nation is not to minimize January 6th, but to sort of remember it as a day where we slipped up. And I know that sounds a little silly, but it's a day where we failed as a nation, you know, mm-hmm. and leave president Obama in one of his final speeches, um, said something. And obviously I'm paraphrasing pretty hard here, but, uh, he was saying that the news media, is sort of responsible for a lot of the divisions we see in this country today. And uh, it's because the way that our information is presented is on two opposite poles, you know, left wing, right wing, you know, it's people either view their information from one lens or they view it from another. And you were saying before that uh, if you had watched all this Fox news day in, day out, like that was, that's the perspective you would have believed. And I'm sure if you watch CNN or any other news media, you'd you'd feel the um, same perspective, but in a different way, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I think the way we move forward as a country is to sort of consciously acknowledge where we went wrong and uh, build like fail safes, I believe the right word, uh, to sort of 
prevent or at least stave off future events like this. And I also think, again, I mentioned disconnect, and I think that our nation's elected leaders need to address that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that they get caught up in the politics of Congress and the Senate, you know, they get caught up in the hubbub of all that, that they forget about the people that they are elected to represent. And I feel that if people don't um, recognize that they have a voice or they feel that um, they're not being allowed to have a voice, we're still going to see events like January 6th, you know? Yeah, I think we need to stop saying um, that the other side uh, is definitively... Uh, wrong um, and to start trying to see from their perspective start putting ourselves in their shoes um, and I think our politicians um, need to do uh, a better job of that I think um, actions speak louder than words but I think um, Joe Biden in uh, his campaign I think uh, the way he was running the the um, stance he was running on which was just unifying the country, um, trying to understand the other other side, just collaboration, um, unity. I think that was a great uh, way um, to run, and I think it appealed to a lot of people, and I think that's why he won. I Honestly, as a journalist, I like to take the gray perspective on things. I don't like to take the black and white perspective on things, and I think that's the best way to view January 6th. There, there's a lot of blame to be placed, but there's a lot that we can learn from that abhorrent day. Just want to thank you, Cole, for um, sitting down with me for the uh, second time. You're the first uh, two-time guest on this podcast. Um, and yeah, couldn't have asked for a better two-time guest. So thanks for talking with me about this, Cole. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Max. I always appreciate the Drive Home podcast. <laughs> thanks, buddy. And now to the headlines of the week. Two important voting rights acts fail in the Senate. The John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act and the Freedom to Vote Act, bills to expand access to voting, especially for minorities, were approved by the House on January 13th and were awaiting a final vote in the Senate up until Wednesday night because minority Republicans were using the filibuster to prevent a vote. In response, many Democrats, some Republicans, and President Joe Biden called for the abolition of the filibuster. But on Wednesday night, a vote to end the filibuster for this bill and force a vote failed. Tune in for the next episode for the podcast, because the next story may very well be what the filibuster is exactly and the pros and cons of ending it. The New York Attorney General's office told the media on Tuesday that investigators uncovered evidence that former President Donald Trump's company, the Trump Organization, used, quote, fraudulent or misleading asset evaluations to get loans and tax benefits. It is yet to be determined if a civil lawsuit will be filed because of the allegations. Trump has called the investigation politically motivated. You, your family, and friends have probably experienced it in the last few weeks. Getting tested for COVID-19 is very difficult. The U.S. has seen an incredible shortage of COVID-19 tests, both at home and administered over the last few weeks because of the rise of the Omicron variant. President Joe Biden has responded by creating a website selling 1 billion at-home tests to Americans for free. The website opened on Tuesday, the 18th of January. Republican Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and former President Donald Trump feud. 
Because DeSantis has not ruled out the possibility of running against Trump in the 2024 presidential primaries, President Trump has ramped up criticism of his former ally, and DeSantis has done the same towards Trump ahead of a likely competition for the Republican presidential nomination in 2024. A Russian invasion of Ukraine may be imminent, despite Russia's claims that they are not planning to do so. Over the past few months, Russia has escalated its troops buildup along the Ukraine border. Currently, 100,000 Russian troops are stationed there. Intelligence states that an attack could come, quote, at any point. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken met with Ukrainian leaders in the capital of Ukraine on Wednesday to reiterate America's stance to defend Ukraine and meet Russia with severe consequences if they were to invade. This situation has been called the greatest security threat to Europe since the Cold War. Even if Russia's buildup is not to invade and is just a way to pressure NATO and the US to stop their presence in Ukraine, it is still dangerous, unacceptable, and must be stopped. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any feedback, comments, questions, or want to be on the podcast or help with the production of it, please feel free to contact me at max.porter at worcesternet.org or on Worcester's campus.